Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we're coming to you live from the United States of America, now featuring fewer white people (laughs) than ever before. It's the future. The census lets us know now that the number of white people in America has declined for the first time ever, partly due to millennials having fewer babies and opioids taking out more people than expected. We (laughs) thought that we were getting, we're going to get to white people not being the racial majority by 2050. Now we think we'll get there by 2045. And this is really important because I remember in 2016, I saw several political interviews where, where, where Trump supporters were talking. And they would spontaneously say on their own things like, this is our last chance, as if they understood. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of white people understand at a very deep level that the future of their racial majority is, is coming to an end. And they fear what will happen when that happens. So they needed to like put somebody like Donald Trump in charge to maintain white supremacy and putting aside Trump specifically, because we've talked enough about that moron on this show, but the white fear of losing power in this country is deeply connected to the knowledge that the end of the white racial majority is within our lifetimes, especially if you're a millennial, 100% within your Mm -hmm. lifetime. And that notion is very scary to a lot of white people because to them, whiteness equals power and dominance. There's really nothing else that binds whiteness in America but those ideas. So, one, I think a couple of things, which is this. (laughs) I said back in 2016 that this was going to be white supremacy's last stand. And I did not just mean, I meant the election of Donald Trump, as you recognize in that moment that we had lost the 2016 election, but also the reality that as many people who have been deep in policy for a long time uh, had been looking at the demographics of the country shift and had been talking about these popular dates, 2050, 2030, 
um, and saying like, oh, the country is going to become majority, you know, majority minority. And I remember this when I was working at the Center for American Progress. Big reports were being rolled out in like the mid 2010s. And, you know, I kept thinking to myself, while progressives are using this as like some type of rallying cry, like, look at this and look at the th- the ways in which we need to change policy to make it less discriminatory and understand that politicians need to recognize that their constituent base is going to be changing, so need to stop ignoring populations that they had been ignoring. I said to myself, self, these white people are going to lose their fucking minds, and this is going to be the way in which they rekindle the fervor behind the KKK. They rekindle mm. the fervor behind, you know, at that time, we the Boogaloo Boys were, was, were not front of mind, but that these white supremacist groups, if you look at the FBI's reporting on the rise of, of white supremacist organizations and then follow it, and I would say make a Venn diagram of how we were learning about the demographic shift, I bet you would see some fucking overlap, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And the reason being is because you're absolutely right. Whiteness is currency, and it is approximated, you know, to power, right? They, it is one, it is one in the same, it is melded together. And the idea, and what I kept saying to these conservatives, when I would go on television with Republicans, mm. which now I do not, when I would make appearances on Newsmax Protect back in the day, oh. and, I, and I do not anymore, is I would say to folks, why are you so concerned about the demographic shift? Why are you all like keep talking about it like they do critical race theory now? If white privilege doesn't exist, if racism doesn't exist and everything Mm. is okay, Mm. then why would you be concerned if there were more of me and less of you? Where the fear coming from? Right. Because one would have to then understand that racism and white privilege and the hierarchy of color has always existed and that you've been at the top and you're afraid that the reversal is going to then bring to us, to you, what you have brought to us for centuries, mm. right? Which are the shitty jobs, the no, the, not the, the food deserts, you know, uh, the bad schools, the poor health care. What do you mean? Right. So I, I, I never understood and they had never had an answer for it. When you ask them, why not. are you so concerned with the demographic shift? What that mean? We're all the same. You bleed red. I bleed red. I see polka dots. You see polka dots. Aren't we OK? <laughs> Lion ass. America will change to a certain extent with a shift in racial majority. Now, it's a very white notion to think that all people of color will band together in some political sense in that black, if only Hispanic and Asian people will see their political needs aligned mm-hmm. and we'll all vote together. So then suddenly we'll have black, brown and Asian candidates and black, brown and Asian lives matter and power against white people. What we, I mean, black people are not a monolith. Hispanic people are absolutely not a monolith. They come from entirely different countries. The, you know, Hispanic, Latino, California, Florida, Texas, they have entirely Asian. So there's not some notion of like, there's white and there's people of color. And if white people slip to 50% or 48%, then they're going to be, they'll still be more white people in the country than these other groups. The group 
that is rising the fastest is Hispanics. Asians are rising, but there's still about half as many Asians in America as there are black people. Asians comprise about 6% of the country. White people comprise about 60% currently. Uh, black people comprise about 12%. I was going to say, I thought it was 13. And we've been, and, we've been 12 to 13 for, for a long time. For, 12 to 13. Yeah. And Hispanics now constitute about 20% of the country. Mm. And their birth rate is rising. And that's not about immigrant, uh, mm-hmm. recent immigrant Hispanics. That is about people who have been here for a while. They are, their birth rate is rising. The white birth rate is falling. You wonder if we're going to look at the browning of America and see a decrease in the amount of political and moral power that black people have. And if we start to see, you know, brown presidents, brown governors, brown senators, you know, that I, you know, and I'm not afraid of that, but I'm just saying as they, if they are rising in power, mm-hmm. In terms of rising in numbers, and you know, Nicole Hannah Jones actually was on Torrey Show and had a really brilliant. What show is that? Torrey Show. I don't know about it. You've heard of it? I never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <suck>. <laughs> she had a really interesting comment because she talked about how whiteness has historically uh, imbibed other groups. Mm-hmm. Jewish people were not always considered white in terms of the dominant white majority, mm-hmm. Irish, Italians, etc. So whiteness has changed to remain dominant throughout right, by American taking, history. Taking up these other groups that they put up signs for, no Italians, no Irish, no Jewish, no whatever. But then all of a sudden there was too many black people. So now y'all are white. So as we go forward if whiteness continues as whiteness continues to shrink and there are already more people of color under age 12 than white people in this mm-hmm. country. So that, mm-hmm. that racial shift is already happening in the younger, in the, among the uh, alphas. We will see whiteness respond by making Hispanics more white. We will see whiteness respond by perhaps making Asians more white, right? We will never become part of their group, but they will bring in other parts of their, and, you know, I mean, look, we, uh, many of us have been confused as why Hispanics are not voting more democratic. Like black people are like 80, 90% democratic, right? Hispanics are not at all. And partly because they don't, some of them, don't want to be categorized based on their race and they want to assimilate. And part of doing that is being part of the Republican party, even as the Republican party is being overtly racist toward them. They're like, well, that's not me. I'm not part of that. So here's a way you already see Hispanics, some playing into the game of saying, I am part of whiteness. But this is our problem in this country which is that we like to lump everyone into these groups. And the fact is, is that the, you know, Hispanic Latinx population is much more layered and much more nuanced Mm -hmm. than Americans ever want to understand. Mm -hmm. There are large countries of Spanish speaking people who see themselves as white. 
and how and are and 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 whether they are from Chile, whether they are from Spain, whether you know, like there are they see themselves because in their history and their legacy, they are more akin to European than they are into uh, Central Americans or uh, Mexicans. But in this country, we're just like, oh, well, if you have a tinge of tan in your skin, then you are a person of color and you are yeah. Hispanic. But that's why. Even I think within the within the party and the Democratic Party that we have problems with our outreach to to majority of Spanish speaking culture, because we want to think that you all care about one thing. Right. But you don't. Right. Um, And I think that that is problematic. At the core of all of this, regardless of the demographic shift, the problem that we are going to have as black people is how anti-blackness is just pervasive, how you are able, when you come to this country, if you come to this country as an immigrant, how you are able to place such a far gap between you and blackness. I am not them, right? There's a reason why we have never coalesced together because as long as black people remain on the bottom, right, then I can separate myself and I can climb the ladder to being somewhere approximately but, but close to whiteness. One thing that our brown brothers and sisters are not understanding is that a big part of black political power comes from our coalescing within the Democratic Party, that we do vote as a block. We are the king and queen makers of the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. We are not in the general election, even though in the last general election, black people swarming out of Atlanta and Detroit and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh made the difference in that election. But I mean, it's been decades that the black, pri- the democratic primary will be decided by who black people coalesce around. Mm-hmm. And because we will vote 80, 90% together, we will make a decision on who gets elected. Our Hispanic brothers and sisters are not, coalescing around candidates and even a party. They'll be something like 60-40 between the two parties. So that dilutes their political power. If they would if they would come to the Democratic Party 70-80%, they would have massive political power and would be shaping the discussion in DC at a rate that we cannot even imagine because we are a smaller Uh, part of the country than they are. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. 
This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming, and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting, and they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. The reason why I don't get excited about the demographic shift and that news is because if we don't find a way to take the wind out of the sails of whiteness, it will never actually really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And this is particularly why we are seeing all of these voter suppression laws that are being rolled out because they know that the demographic shift is coming. And so, so long as we don't allow these people to vote, it doesn't matter what their numbers are because we don't see them, right? They don't matter at the end of the day. And I, you know, and I remember thinking as soon as, you know, in, in 2020, as soon as we saw who was dying first from COVID-19, right, which was black and brown people who are working in positions that are considered essential, your grocery clerks, your delivery people, your your deli- uh, package person, hospital all of those folks. Uh, hospital folks, all of these people. Then it was liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia, mm-hmm. liberate Florida, all of these things. So like we take all of these instances in silos as if they're not connected, as if white politicians and leaders and these the right-wing billionaires don't see that they are going to lose the top of the pyramid. And so how do I make sure in all of these different ways that I maintain this power, right? I take away the vote. I make sure that people remain sick and dumb, right? Like I do all of these things in order to maintain power. And, you know, and I wonder if we should not, if we should spend more time trying to understand and commune and collaborate with other marginalized groups, right, as a way to kind of create our own large-scale tactical plan, right? We may not have the same issues. We don't. And that's okay. We don't have to have the same issues. But the one thing that we have in common is that they think that we're less than. Yeah. I mean, you know, the political needs of Black people alone are so varied Mm -hmm. because of the class differentials, because of the regional differentials, um, because of the way that we approach things. You know, some of us want to defund the police. Some of us want to abolish the police. Some of us want to reform the police. Some of us feel like there's nothing we can do and we have to accept the status quo and we have to be nicer to the police so that they don't kill us, right? The approach to taxation, the approach to the war on drugs. There are so many different ways that we want to approach. That's just within the black community, right? The, 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 the yeah, I was going to say Latino and, and, and it jumped back to me. You said Latinx. And this is something I've been thinking about for a while. I saw a poll that said the overwhelming majority of 
Latino and Latina people do not use the term Latinx, Latinx. and many of them don't even know that what term. It means. So yeah. are we being like hyper woke? Or uh, I should say you because I didn't use it. Are we should we are we being ridiculously woke by using the term Latinx that they don't use to describe themselves? I will tell you that I had on woke AF, Whack AF. um uh Paola Ramos, who is a Latinx millennial journalist. And she wrote a whole book about in search and finding Latinx and saying that it really is about degendering. The, the the language, sure. right? And it is about being a lot more um, inclusive, right? Um, and so do we, I think that we're being hyperwoke? No, um, but I think that it's important to be inclusive. And if so, if that is being hyperwoke, then I will wear that badge happily. I understand that value. I just saw a really interesting TikTok where this, this early education teacher said we should not be saying good morning boys and girls because that is hyper centering their gender identities yep. rather than welcoming welcoming them with good morning learners good morning scholars good morning students and and center that that's what you're here to do not to be boys and girls but oh, to I be learners that. right yeah. to be young brains to be scholars right that is what we want the teacher to to start the morning with thinking about like, I'm here to learn rather than I'm here to be a girl or a boy. I fully understand oh, I like that. that, right? And I get that. But I return to the notion of the overwhelming majority of people in Paola's community are not using the term and have never heard of it. So if we're using it to describe them and they're not using it, what is that? Unclear. Unclear, Should but we I know be using that. But, it if they're but, not I, using but I say, it? but I say this that I you say know, LGBTQ because the LGBTQ community is using that term. What about the plus? I, I mean, like they are using that term, so I will use that term out of respect for them. I think that if you have, but if they're not saying the, Latinx, why am I? But if you have the reasoning behind, because I just don't think again, what 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 is isn't Hispanic is more so about what? Is it race? Is it ethnicity? Is it what? What? Who made that up, right? Like, and then, you know, we have, we have evolved. We evolve over time. And I think that in the way in which we are looking through a lens that is no longer binary, right? And we're trying to say, you know what? There is much more than the man and the woman. There's much more than the welcoming the boys and the girls into class. And because you have languages that are based in gendered terms, but we are living in a society that is evolving and changing, like how do you show inclusiveness um, and, and allow people to feel seen? And so, you know, I, I asked, I remember being in a, in a progressive nonprofit uh, workshop and people were talking about Latinx. And I was just like, so are we using that now? Because you always want to. You hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you don't want to be caught out there and be like but uh, you, Torrey, but, we don't use that but, but language if you're ahead anymore. of the group if you're a, you're out ahead of your skis and the group is like, I don't use that term. I don't know. I, I, it, it, I, 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 was, I was using the term. And then when I encountered the notion that they are not using the term, I was like, well, you know, what are we doing? I'm like, I can't outwoke them mm. on their own identity. <laughs> what is that? Well, in progressive circles, the term is pervasive. That's what I will say hyper-intellectualized circles, but the vast majority of them are like, eh. I I do appreciate, though, the notion you brought up earlier about not wanting to do or not agreeing to do television with right-wingers. Yeah. Because I've noticed since around 2000 that the ability to have a rational conversation with them has devolved more and more. Yeah. And it was devolving during the uh, W. Bush yep. administration. Mm-hmm. And it got worse during the Obama administration. And then circa Trump, it became completely Looney Tunes, right? And when you saw the rise of who, uh, uh, you know, Katrina Pearson and these other lunatics. Your who friend were, Candace. Oh, my God, right. But she wasn't appearing on the CNNs and the MSNBCs yeah, right. regularly, right? There was a group of people who and it was just like this is this is a bad faith conversation that is not existing within the reality of accepted truth of shared <laughs> universal truth um what is that you know so what just even talking to them was not it, it was bad for my peace and it was also a bad conversation it was bad for the audience because you're not trying to have but a reasonable conversation not for the producers that wanted to put together a food fight and this is and they wanted to turn politics into some type of sporting event well that is also really bad for politics it's bad for the audience it's bad for people's understanding of the reality to have two people one who understands climate science and the other one who's just a climate denier and have a one-on-one discussion argument food fight about like that completely and you know that sort of thing on immigration on taxation on voter id on what have you on the big lie that completely uh disarms or disinforms the audience um but we quite often saw especially you know from my friends at msnbc telling me we are having a hard time booking people from the right because oh, they're not going on. Yeah. Well, cause they know that they either that they'll get pilloried and attacked because their ideas are cockamamie and uh-huh. they're here to filibuster and say crazy things. Um, but also because they're not making a reasonable presentation. So, 
we had you on a couple times, Katrina, whoever it is. Your presentation is cockamamie. We don't want to have you on. And finding people who would say reasonable and intelligent became things. Less and, it became less and less. And I realized for them, it all just became this zero-sum game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, and I stopped wanting to go on television with those folks because I'm like, this is, actually isn't a game. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going on TV when I have the privilege to get to do so as a way to inform people so that they can make better decisions about their lives. I am not a fucking entertainer, no, right? Like no. I'm not going on there to, to entertain or to like, you know, get the clicks. I'm actually going on there because I give a shit These like, are about, about this country and like about the direction it's headed in, whether or not we're going to do anything about climate change. And the fact that we were totally okay, that kids were in cages and we don't know how many of them got COVID. The fact that like, you know, a, a black people were dying at a higher rate in a pandemic. Like I care about these things. So to go on with these folks that then wanted to be like, Obama is a Muslim. And like, that's what the hell they're screaming in your, I'm like, the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. Like, what am I do- Like I would want, like, don't. And I remember the last time that it happened, I said to the producer post-show, I said, you will never do this to me again. I am not going to be your angry black woman trope. I am angry and I am black and I am woman, but I get to dictate how that is used. You don't get to use me. Right. And it was, and I was livid. And they said, we had no idea. It was the first time we were booking this person. I said, well, then you need to do better research. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it would have taken, but a couple See, of clicks, you know, you, you don't, always know who you're going on with you no. don't always know their politics their tone the way that they will present the issues cnn is really bad at saying we want a food fight we want point counterpoint we want you guys to fight and setting you up to have a fight msnbc wants that less they don't really want a food fight the way that no. fox and cnn wants and they feel a responsibility to have the right on to a certain amount so they're not just sort of like alienating the, that potential audience and alienating that potential side of the, uh, of the aisle. Um, and that's sort of part of the argument and in, within America. Like that is, they're like, that's just part of America, so they should have a place at the table. But they don't, I can tell you from experience within the building, they do not want everything to be a food fight. It's not good television. It doesn't make people feel good. It's a much more productive conversation when you have two liberals or two Democrats, even if you have a liberal and a moderate Democrat, talking together from a place of mutual respect and a place of understanding these are facts and we're going to deal from there. We may have a disagreement on execution or in certain context, but these are facts rather than, you know, a person from Earth and a person from Mars. (laughs) Which is quite often what That's we get. That's where we are. And, and one of the key vectors of that, I noticed the, the sort of decline of the Bill Maher show, which used to be this great combining of left and right in the 90s, right? Yeah. Where we could have these discussions that were quite often useful. In the 2000s and in the last decade, the show became more and more of a ridiculous food fight where I'm like, the right is not only saying things that are completely cockamamie and ridiculous and not based in reality, but also the way that they would argue would be completely offensive, filibustering, throwing names, being sort of, what would you call it? Sort of almost like 
screeching and screaming at us. And I'm like, I don't want to watch that, much less be a part of that. I just wonder if we, if discussion and debate is just dead. Like if you ever go back, because we're talking about the heydays, we're talking about, you know, the the late 90s, early 2000s, like, but understanding that this all correlates to how our politics has devolved, right? So how we talk about politics and how we engage in politics has completely devolved. The way, the esteem, I've said this so many times, the esteem that I used to hold members of Congress in Mm. um, until like the last 10 years I used to think like when I got to Capitol Hill and I'm working for members of Congress, I'm sitting on these committee hearings, I'm taking notes and bumping, you know, representative so-and-so, Mr. You know, Miss So-and-so. Like I was awestruck, right? These are the people that are setting policy and agenda for the country. And I get to be a little part of this, scribbling down notes and offering things. You look at these motherfuckers who w- are wearing these pins now. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the mm. Matt Gateses, the Ted Cruz. Like, you look at these folks, and I'm just like, how? The Laura Boberts, and I'm just like, I see you, Jim Jordan. How do you, how can you bear the same title as representative or senator to like the Ted Kennedys and the, like the, like, it's so, it, it's so disgusting. The Liz Warren, it's disgusting. You know, part of it too is that we come from, two different media universes in that the objective serious media is presenting reality. And then there is a right wing media cabal that will present whatever information you need to win the debate, to stay in your silo. And so we get things like I would kind of, when I would have conversation with conservatives, you would have something like, you know, this piece of information came out from a Washington post and New York times, what have you. And the person on the right would say, well, that was debunked. And I'm like, well, who debunked that? And how did you debunk that? Like, well, the Washington Examiner said, nah. like, we don't count the Daily Caller, the Washington. Like, you cannot stand on OAN or Newsmax and say, like, well, this is real. You know, the thing, too, I remember being on MSNBC and waiting to go out, and you're sitting in the green room with the people you're going to go out with. And quite often you're like talking together and you would have like a good communal feeling of like, we're going to have a good hit together. We're going to inform some people. We're going to, you know, I can be entertaining without being an entertainer, right? which is what you yes. were talking about. Yes. When I would go on Fox and I did O'Reilly several times, Bill O'Reilly show, I would be very stressed out before I would go out there. You're not really chit-chatting with the other people you might go out with. It would be very cold and quiet in the green room because everyone's very nervous and tense. I'm like, who needs this? Why would I subject myself to this stress of like, who knows what? And Bill never screamed at me, but you didn't know, like, is he going to flip out on you today when you start talking about like, well, this is because of white supremacy and you have no freaking idea. And you know, with an MSNBC or with a CNN, as a lefty, the host is not going to say, you're out of your mind because you're not out of your mind and they are not out of their mind. But just, I always come back to likening Fox and CNN and MSNBC is wrong. The three of them are doing different things. And it would be like, like, like to say that, CNN and MSNBC are like Fox is like saying, 
you know, the Golden State Warriors and the LA Clippers and the Harlem Globetrotters. They appear to be playing the same game, but they are not playing the same game. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important to note. I mean, I I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've done Fox, and it was for that very reason. Again, the whole purpose of doing podcasts, the whole purpose of doing media is to actually inform people, in my opinion, right? Like, in my opinion, the whole purpose of being able to have a platform, however big or however small, is the sheer desire to want to inform people so that they can be better. Right. That they can show up better and show up informed. And, you know, I can just uh, the times that I did do Fox and the Newsmaxes, I was just like. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? Like, why am I here? Who like who is listening? To I would this? never go to Newsmax right? for free. You have but to, I'm like, but I'm to like, at least who, be getting something. But I'm out like, of who it. is listening to this? Why does why does this actually matter? And this is not helpful to anybody. And it's that, you know, and, and people thought like, oh, and I remember I had friends that would say, no, you need to go and, and talk to the opposition. Like they they need to hear what you're saying. And I said, but I don't think that you understand that they're not hearing me. No. If I have to scream over the guest or what I'm like, I've already lost. Yeah. Right. I'm, I've already lost. And that they're setting you up to lose. Yeah. Like that's the, but point. the audience is not listening to you in good faith. It's not like you can convince them no. that, Oh wow. Danielle finally explained immigration to me. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and, and I get it. And, and I, I care get, about the kids. Suddenly now I care about the kids in cages. They've been telling you for days and weeks and hours before you come on, this is the position you should take. And now you come on saying your thing, reminding them, hey, over on Earth One, this is the reality. They live on Earth Two. They live on Mars. They do not understand what you're talking about. You can't bring them over to reality in the five minutes you get. And nor do they care. And I think that that's the thing that we all have to understand is that you go where you think that you can have the most impact. Yeah. And that's what that's that's what I decided. That's what you did. You go where you can have the most impact and where you can have really thoughtful conversations. There's a reason why I watch and like to go on MSNBC. And it is because the conversations that are had reasonable. there are reasonable. They're thoughtful. And I know the people that are doing the research behind it and the hosts that are on there, they care. They care. And I worked there for years. I can attest that the people at MSNBC are trying very hard to be honest and to get things right. And when when we talk about fake news, I find that highly offensive because I understand I know how hard the folks at MSNBC are working to get things right. I worked at CNN for a much briefer period of time, but I know the people that I met there are trying to get things right and to be accurate and to be honest. And there's no presentation of fake news. I mean, like it's just so offensive to think that that this group of people would go on the air with news that they knew was fake, what they, they knew was dishonest. That is exactly what happens at Fox, right? Then they all are they aware paid, this is what we are doing. They get paid so much money for it. And this is why I say that if you can take a Tucker Carlson into court and his attorneys right. are arguing and saying, well, why would anybody listen to him? He's just an entertainer. And that is their defense of the bullshit that he puts out on a regular basis. Then FCC, hey, 
why not put up a warning label on everything that Fox fucking produces for Fox News and say, big black screen, rated R, this is for entertainment purposes only. They are not doctors, they are not scientists, they are not statisticians, they are not analysts, they are entertainers. In big letters, hold it up for 45 seconds and then allow them to go off into their diatribe. Because then, just like the parental advisories, we are warning people what it is that you are getting into. You think that this is the news that 65 million Americans are watching on a regular basis, 150 million Americans, a lot of them are watching, and it's not. And so if I tell you just because something has news in the title doesn't mean that it actually is. So it is the FCC who should say, you know what, guys, since you've argued in court on a number of cases in order not to pay penalties, in order not to have any accountability or responsibility for the hot shit that comes out of your mouth, then this is the label we're going to slap on your entire fucking network to protect this country from your bullshit. Because now you're also killing people. Because now, while Fox News has a whole vaccination passport program that every single person that comes into that building has to adhere to, but we turn on the lights and get on the air and tell you to unmask your children and that vaccines are going to kill you. That crazy that I need to prove that I'm vaccinated to walk in the building and go in the air to to tell you not to get vaccinated. Don't get vaccinated. Fight against the vaccine passports. Fight against mandates. I mean, you will never have somebody arguing that Rachel Maddow is just doing entertainment. That Lawrence O'Donnell and Chris Hayes and Joy Reid are just doing entertainment. They work very hard to say things that are truthful and honest, that they believe they can go home and sleep at night knowing I did the best that I could to uh, to educate people on the most important issues of the day. One thing I love to do is look at the A block. What is MSNBC doing? What is CNN doing? <laughs> what is Fox doing? And quite often, CNN and MSNBC are talking about the most important issue of the day. And Fox is talking about Mr. Pillow guy, some other crazy shit that fits with their bullshit agenda. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is that I understand the importance of what we do when we are guesting or hosting on these shows. When I encounter older black folks who are old enough to be my aunt or my uncle, and they are like, you know, doing a good job like thank you so much and the folks who have seen you know Gwen Eiffel rise up and saw Max Robinson rise up and saw some of the other early folks who got a chance to do the news and were like oh my god there's a black person doing the news and now there's a bunch of us doing the news and part of the news conversation and you know you can just tell like I've been watching the news for a while and like you do it right and you do it seriously and like I appreciate your contribution to that. And that compliment from those older folks who've seen that it it hits very deeply and reminds you the importance Mm -hmm. of what we're able to do. And that's just part of why I take those moments when you get on an MSNBC, when you get on a CNN to be really serious and take those moments really seriously. It is not entertainment. It is not a game. I am not part of spinning some democratic agenda um it is far more important than that and i don't think that you know and i i I think what has failed about our media and our politics is that we turned everything into a game 
we turned everything into a game, into a sporting event, into a death match. And we're here now in this space where we have Earth and Earth One, you know, Earth One and Earth Two, Mars and our, like where we have this distance because we have the media has done a disservice to their audiences by turning very important issues into food fights, yeah. by turning them into spectacle rather than understanding that, you know, when we're watching the, the presidential debates and even the way that the, the, the people are talking about it, the analysts are talking about it. And I'm like, this is not fucking basketball. Hmm. This isn't, this isn't the like basketball has no effect on my fucking life. Right. right. So what they are saying and what they say that they're going to do actually matters. So don't tell me about Hillary Clinton's fucking suit or whether Kamala Harris was smiling or not or whether, you know, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders brushed his hair, although, you know, white privilege. But like, don't talk to me about those things when you need to be digging into the substance. Look, I know. Talk about substance. I know how seriously you take these things because part of this show started from us doing Joy Reid together. Oh God, and I was right. like, you know, she's super serious. She's super great. Uh, oh my God. You know, let's, this is the nicest he's ever been to me, guys. You know, that said, <laughs> we know Danielle comes ready for a food height because she's got watermelon in her bag. Thank you for listening. She, and that's true. She does have watermelon in her I bag right do. now. I do. And also, dear black people, um, are there some of you who refuse to eat watermelon in public? Because mm-hmm. Torre is one of them. Mm-hmm. Just oh, letting you know. Yeah. Oh, I am yeah. not. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre, not eating watermelon in public at all. I am Danielle Moody. It is summer. I love watermelon, and I don't subscribe to white people gays. <laughs> We'll be back next week with no watermelon in the bag. (laughs) 